Welcome to Flip Your Lid with Kim Honeycutt. Kim is a psychotherapist and executive director of ICU Talks, a mental health speaking ministry. This is a podcast about how to flip your lid and learning how to reconnect to who you really are. All right, everybody. So I have a really special young woman with me today. You're about to learn a whole lot. Let me tell you about Liz Brooke Holder. She's an integrative nurse practitioner. She's a hypnotherapist and a trauma specialist. She's also a childhood trauma survivor herself. Her mission is to help others actually heal from trauma and reclaim their lives. Trauma-focused hypnotherapy is one of the main therapies she uses with her clients. Liz is also pursuing a PhD in mind-body medication from Saybrook University. So if you all take a second and help me welcome Liz to Flip Your Lid. Hey, Liz. Hi, thank you for having me. Hey, I appreciate your time and being a part of this. So really glad you're here. There's so many questions I have for you, and I just want to start with the question we always start with, and that is, what life event, what experience did you have that flipped your lid that caused you to disconnect from who you are? And what mm-hmm. measures did you have to take to reconnect to who you are? Yes, that's an excellent question. And I think we all have that experience or more than one experience mm-hmm. like that. So the biggest thing I would say, actually, there were two really big traumas that happened when I was a child. Um there's kind of a lot, but the two big things I actually have that both flipped my lid. The first one was when my father left when I was five years old mm. and basically abandoned our family, me and my three brothers. And we never saw him again, ever. Wow, never um, again, ever. Well, until I was like 37 or 38 years old a few wow. years ago. And I went to him to actually tell him in person that I forgive him, that I had forgiven him because I'd healed through so much. Mm. So that was a very traumatic thing and created a lot of issues in my life throughout my childhood, adolescence, young mm. adulthood, um, you know, the whole abandonment wound. Mm. Um, and then my stepfather came into my life shortly after about a year or two after that. And he was sexually abusive and he was an alcoholic and there was, you know, a bunch of trauma kind of surrounding that. And mm-hmm. so that was another thing that um, was a huge childhood wound for me. Um, and both of those things together in such a short period of time, really just, I, I completely, looking back now, I know that I disconnected from myself, just like you said, I disconnected from, um, you know, my body, my feelings, my emotions. Mm-hmm. It was this whole process that I learned for survival You know, I even, um, as a young child, I remember in first grade, I was very talkative and outgoing. um, And I would get report cards that would say, Elizabeth is a pleasure to teach, but she needs to control her talking. You know, and this was over and over, like over and over. And I was, she sings in class and and it's beautiful, but she needs to control it. So I was singing and talking. And after the sexual abuse happened, when I was around seven or eight, I completely lost my voice, almost completely. Mm. So I didn't speak for years. Like I went to school and went all day long where I could not speak. I did not speak. I didn't open my mouth. Um, So I really lost my voice. And the only time I would really speak was at home around my family. And then that's when like rage would come out. And I was, you know, very angry, of course, and rageful. And no one knew what was wrong with me, of course, because I didn't tell because most kids don't tell those things. And so I became this person that was very withdrawn, very um, quiet, 
could not speak my truth or even what even what even was that? You know, I didn't know. Disconnected from my feelings and emotions um, and just became this whole different person. And years later, when I, and so as, as an adolescent, I began to act out a lot and had undiagnosed PTSD, mm-hmm. uh, undiagnosed depression, anxiety, social anxiety disorder. And so looking back, I know that all of those things were what was going on with me. But at the time I thought, oh, what is wrong with me? You know, it's just, there's something wrong with me. Right. I have all these issues. I'm all alone. No one understands. And when I was 17, I got arrested. And That's I got when I got arrested when I was 17. <laughs> Look, we're sisters in that. How amazing. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> what did you get arrested um, for? Oh, my gosh. Um, well, actually, several things before this. Several things. I mean, shoplifting, uh, running away from home, mm-hmm. whatever, you name it. This was the one that actually sent me off to a, a juvenile delinquent boot camp training school. And it was for grand larceny. <laughs> so my friend and I thought it was a good idea to steal her stepdad's car while he mm-hmm. was out of town. So we kind of broke into his car and, it, and we thought, oh, it's her stepdad. So it's really not that bad, right? So <laughs> we're 17 and wild and crazy. And we got caught. And well, when we got home, we ran away in his car. And then we decided, well, we don't have any money and, nowhere, and we don't have anywhere to go. So we came back home and the cops were waiting for us and took, and took us to jail. So they sent us, uh, they put us on probation. And, and another thing that happened is I had, because I had such trouble with, um, social settings mm-hmm. because of my social anxiety and all of those things, I ended up dropping out of high school when I was 17. Wow. So all of these things are around that same time. And one of the things was they put me on probation and said, you have to go back to school. So I didn't go because it was too painful because mm-hmm. I would have panic attacks, severe panic attacks in school. And so then they sent me to this juvenile del- delinquent training school boot camp for like 12 weeks. And at the time, I thought, this is the worst thing that could ever happen to me, right? A 17-year-old sent away, like, four hours away to this boot camp, away from home, away from everything, away from everybody, locked up, basically, and there for three months. I'll tell you, though, it was, like, the best thing that ever happened to me. (laughs) So, looking back, I know that it was a miracle, and it was a saving grace, Mm -hmm. and it saved my life. So, in that training school, I found this book. And it was called, You Can't Afford the Luxury of a Negative Thought by Peter McWilliams and Mm. another co-author. But this book was all about kind of like changing your thoughts and how, you know, it talks about how thoughts become our beliefs and our beliefs become our behaviors and our behaviors become our actions versus, you know, and becomes our life basically. And it was all this like knowledge that I'd never heard and all this amazing stuff. And I remember just lying in bed at night in my little cot because we had little army cots that we had to make up perfectly in the morning and all that. But, and I would just have these aha moment moments after aha moments. And, and I know it was a divine intervention at that time. And it was the beginning of a very deep self healing spiritual type journey. It was the beginning of that for me. And I just remember thinking, Oh my gosh, I don't have to live like this forever. Like I don't have to accept this as my future and, and I can overcome these things and I can become a different person by just changing my mind and changing my thoughts and changing my mindset. And, you know, it was just awakening for me. And so since then I got out of training school and kind of fell into every self-help book that I could find because that's all I had at the time. I had no resources. We were poor in Mississippi. Mm -hmm. You know, I had no father. My mother was, busy and 
um, probably emotionally unavailable with her own stuff and just had no resources. So this was all I had was this whole diving into this self-healing journey through these self-help books and these teachers. Um, So it was life-changing and just fell into this whole path of changing my life and overcoming all of that and healing myself and changing my mindset from this horrible pessimist, horribly pessimistic, self-hatred, self-loathing person to becoming just truly joyful and grateful. And to this day, like super grateful for everything, every single everything, (laughs) because I've been able to heal through so much. And so that's basically how my journey started and how I became a person who wants to reach out and help others do the same. Wow, such a powerful testimony. I got to go back to the idea of a five-year-old. Like, I don't know how a five-year-old can conceptualize and internally reconcile that dad's here, dad's gone. Right, and I'm assuming within that family system, like, there's no therapy for you at that point. There's no understanding of of what you're supposed to do, right? And then to the next man that comes in your life, sexually abuses you within your own home, which once again is not a place of safety. So it goes from someone who talks and who's singing because she's free in your, your, yourself, your, your essence to someone who says nothing. Did anybody notice? It was so, such a painful time. Um, you know, I think I'm sure teachers noticed and they would reach out to my mom and, and they would ask because I would miss a lot of days of school. And and I'm sure they noticed that I was like painfully shy and withdrawn and couldn't speak. I mean, but as far as I remember, a couple of teachers reached out and were concerned and about me missing school so much in so many days. And and honestly, I don't know what my mom told them, but and, and I'm sure she noticed something was probably wrong. But again, she had no resources and no information and no knowledge and no, she didn't know what to do. She had four kids on her own, um, poor, you know, no resources. And she honestly, I know now that she did the best she could at the time, but it was, it was very painful, difficult journey. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Cause it sounds like, you know, that again, you went, you wouldn't, it affected your dorsal vagal, right? Like you went into freeze. I know you speak that oh, language. Absolutely. And so like you shut down and then your fight back on some level was probably starting to rebel and steal things oh, yeah. and do something, yeah. right? Absolutely. And we know that a lot of times shoplifting has to do with when someone feels that something's been taken from them, from their mm-hmm. life, they will steal merchandise. Right. Oh, right? and that makes so much sense for me. Of course, I feel like something, many things have been taken from me. You and know? they were so, very much your yeah. innocence. Your innocence. Oh, definitely. Who, who do you definitely. think you were prior, to, before you lost your innocence at a young age? Any idea of who you were prior to losing your innocence? Um, I think it was just that, like you said, just that, just free, you know, mm-hmm. I was free and joyful and happy most yeah. of the time. And then all of a sudden, all of those things were taken away. You know, right. my innocence, my freedom, my voice, my power, my everything. Right. I've, I've worked <laughs> and the, through the hypnotherapy that I do, there's parts of the sessions where we literally go back and reclaim those soul parts that were lost. Yeah, I love that. You know, those things yeah. and have done those things multiple times in different situations that I've got because we do a lot of age regression and go back mm-hmm. to those moments and do the processing and all of that. But I mean, so much was lost, you know, and, Mm -hmm. but the main thing was probably just my freedom to be who I am. Yeah. That's, that's, that is spot on. It's just that idea of, 
who you're supposed to be, who you're meant to be, and then having life experiences that shift to that. And trauma happens to all of us, but without support of that trauma, it becomes complex. It becomes lifelong, and it doesn't have to be. Right. Right. Absolutely. And that's, you know, you talked about the dorsovagal um, response and how, and I do a lot of that work with my patients too, the whole, Mm -hmm. and, and we, the training that I do, we call it shock. And so there's the parasympathetic shock and the sympathetic mm-hmm. shock. And, you know, the, it's the fight or flight, the sympathetic right. and the freeze, the parasympathetic. And mm-hmm. I was literally in and out of those all the time. Mm-hmm. So when I was in these high anxiety, sympathetic shock states, I was having severe anxiety and panic attacks. And then, you know, your body gets worn out doing right. that. And you have to almost go back to the complete opposite polar polar end of freeze so I was in and out of those freeze and fight or flight shock states all the time, all right. the time. Right. And, and it's so great to have words now, but when we're going through it, we don't have right. terminology or understanding. And you obviously are thirsty for knowledge to be 17 sent to boot camp. And that is where you get your hands on a book right. that you yeah, start I consider, absorbing. I consider myself extremely just, I don't know, blessed, lucky, grateful for that because I, I now work with some adolescents that are like 15, 17, 19, and they have zero desire to read a book at all. And and then some are, and some are like, yes, I would love to read that. But I think, gosh, how grateful I am that that was an avenue for me through Mm -hmm. reading and through books, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and and I believe that it's different for everyone. And, and there's different routes for everyone that just happened to be the one for me to open that door. And it was such a blessing. So, yeah. So how do we go from 17 and having to remove yourself from high school to pursue, pursuing your PhD. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me oh, that well, journey. Been, I know it's been such a lifelong journey and I'm, you know, and I know that it's all part of my journey. And um, well, like, so I got home from training school and decided, well, I want to go back to school. So I um, signed up for my GED mm-hmm. and I, I'm in Mississippi at this time. And I thought, okay, I got to start with my GED and then I'm going to go to community college. And so I, I did that and I enrolled in community college and, and, couldn't decide what I wanted to do, but I loved computers at the time. And so I went into computer programming for an associate's degree in computer programming, because at that time I was 17, 18, 19. Again, I was very shy, you know, and I didn't want to be around people. I didn't want to work with people. I thought I didn't like people. So I thought I'll just work with computers all day. (laughs) So so I did that. And, and I actually did get that associate's degree in computer programming. And in the meantime, I started working in um, this department store in, in my hometown. It was similar to Bilk. And that working in sales really was also another blessing because it helped me to slowly start to come out of my shell. And I started realizing, oh, I do like working with people. Like this Mm. is fun interacting with people and learning how to do that because I didn't know how. And I would watch other people and I would study other people and see how they interacted. And I think, oh yeah, that's like, I would like to be outgoing and, and, and just like that with people. And so I would study other people in that way and eventually became more outgoing with in the sales industry and retail. So that was very helpful. Um, And then I got that computer programming degree and and decided, well, I don't really want to work with computers anymore. I want to do something with people. So I worked in sales and retail for a while and and became like lead sales manager, lead sales manager and things like that. Um, But at some point I realized I want to go into nursing school and so I went and enrolled into this associate degree nursing program in my local town in a community college again. And I, I think I was 27 at that time, actually. So this is like several years of 
shifting my life and shifting mm-hmm. away from old friends and getting away from those old people who would kind of lead me down the wrong path or who I, I just followed down the wrong path, right, um, right, right. which was actually the right path. Looking back, you know, it was all, it's all divine intervention, but um, I ended up going to a nursing school for this two year degree and fell in love and decided, wow, this is, this is exactly where I need to be. I love this. I love nursing. I'm going to keep going and be a nurse practitioner. I knew that in the associate degree program. So I got that and became a nurse and started working as an RN and went back for my bachelor's degree, which was like a one year kind of transition um, program through University of North Alabama. And then applied to grad school for my nurse practitioner degree. This is all like, it's a long span of time. In that meantime, I got married and, um, and then I had two kids. And while I had two kids, I was in grad school for nurse practitioner at George Washington University because we had lived in DC for about four years. Um, got that and then decided, okay, I'm ready to do my PhD. And so I looked around at different schools and this one was the one that really resonated with me for the work that I do, which is the mind-body medicine and the mind-body connection and healing through through that those modalities. And so here I am, but that's kind of the short version. Yeah, but that's beautiful. So can you talk a little bit about how do you have a dad not in your life, have a stepdad that molests you, and then find safety with a man in a marriage? Okay, and that was a very long journey too because I, I, bet. I bet. <laughs> because I for a long time I was severely afraid of intimacy and I had the intimacy issues, trust issues, communication issues, and I thought I will never be able to be in a relationship, you know, because I had all these beliefs that Men are dangerous. That men, I can't trust men. Men are liars. Men hurt you. Love hurts. Don't fall in love. You get abandoned. Like all these right. beliefs that later through hypnotherapy, I realized we're all there. But I just started realizing too, reading all these books that, that that was an issue and that I was attracting the same type of man that my father was, which was absent, you know, right. emotionally absent, even though he was physically absent too, was I was seeking, um, I realized that I was seeking or reaching out or attracting men who were emotionally unavailable. And so I was in a couple of not so great relationship relationships. Um, the one from age 22 till about 28 was very dysfunctional. It was tumultuous. It was verbally abusive, emotionally abusive. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were very toxic for each other. We both had things that we were, you know, we both had a lot of trauma, unhealed, unprocessed trauma. But during that relationship, um, even now, if I, I give such gratitude for that relationship because that relationship showed me and brought up all the things that I needed to work on and put it right in my face and said, here it is. If you want to have a healthy relationship, here are the things that you need to work on, which is all of that trust and communication and intimacy issues and, and looking at myself and allowing myself to be open with myself and another person. And so through that relationship, it was very difficult, but it was very eye-opening and I did a lot of healing through it um, and then finally left it and left Mississippi and moved here to North Carolina when I was 29. And, and there was a lot of grief there. There was a whole, I grieved that relationship, but in Mm -hmm. that grieving, you know, you grieve when we grieve, we don't just grieve the one thing. We grieve everything. Sometimes all of it. Mm -hmm. Yes. So in that, I went through this about eight or nine month period of just purging and grieving that relationship, my childhood, my, all of these things. And, and of course, this whole time I'm doing all this reading and work on myself and internal work. And um, and then one day I woke up and I thought, okay, I'm ready for a, I'm ready for a healthy relationship. Like I'm going to only attract in a healthy relationship and nothing less than, and I'm going to not be with anyone that is not, that does not treat me with respect. And, 
you know, worthiness and all these things. And I'll be alone forever before I settle for anything less. And then a couple months later, I met my now husband. So but, oh. <laughs> it was a journey, you know, right. going through all these toxic relationships and learning what I needed to learn for myself. Yeah. And probably a whole lot of unlearning and relearning right. and new learning and so much. And, and, yes. and in that, you know, if you can talk a little bit about the subconscious of that you were subconsciously attracting, gravitating towards men who represented the wounding from childhood right. and your awareness of that and then how you transition from that because people can even have the head knowledge but not know how to heal the subconscious of it. Can you speak into right. that? Right. You know, and that's the thing that um, I started realizing this because of the all the reading that I was doing about all of this inner work and relationship. And, I, and that was another thing. So relationships, I of course had no idea what a healthy relationship was or what that even looked like. So I was reading all these books on relationships and healthy relationships and how do you have that? And, and these books about unhealthy relationships and verbally abusive relationships and addictive relationships. And I thought, okay, those are the things that I have. And these are the things that I want. So how do I get there? And so it was a lot of workbooks that I would do and the, like workbooks where you're writing out the things and your beliefs and what you want and what you don't want. And, and the pattern became pretty clear to me through doing that, that, that that's what I was doing and attracting because deep down, that's what I felt like I deserve or that's, mm-hmm. that's all I'm worth yep. or that's all, you know, there's no, I had no worth, self-worth basically. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I was attracting. And so this, and, and it was that pattern where I knew, then I began to know this intellectually, but it, I kept doing it compulsively going back to this very, toxic relationship and it was and we broke up and got back together literally probably a hundred times you know in this span of time because I would say no I deserve better and intellectually I deserve better and I want better but there was this compulsion this drive this subconscious compulsion drive to go back to that and I just had to keep digging in and digging in saying okay where is this unworthiness within me that keeps saying that that's all I deserve and that's all I can ever have, you know? And so just working at that over and over and over, um, I did lots of affirmations. I did lots of journaling. I think journaling is a very healing tool to help um, kind of bring your subconscious things out onto paper. So I did a lot of journaling at that time because I didn't have hypnotherapy at that time, unfortunately. Um, and just constantly worked at it. And then finally, and through prayer and things like that, you know, and then finally a situation happened where, um, I caught him with another woman and cause I had been praying for a sign and I was like, Oh God, give me a sign. I need a sign. And so then there that happened and slapped me in the face. And I was like, okay, I get it. I get it now. <laughs> so, so I moved out of Mississippi and I don't know. It was just a series of things, but it is, it's like you said, it's that subconscious. We can know it consciously, but how do we clear out the subconscious to actually um, do that work? And again, I think people just do it in different ways and sometimes through therapy and sometimes through self-therapy or self-journaling or through prayer meditation, you know, different things. But there were a lot of things that I started to incorporate. But then in my, like four years ago is when I discovered hypnotherapy, but I had already been married for a few years and then just went deeper and deeper and deeper into all of that and the, those subconscious beliefs and just kind of cleared out more and more and more. So did you I don't find, know if that quite answered. No, you did. It's a beautiful answer. Did you find hypnotherapy professionally as what you were wanting to say as a, as a type of modality or was it a personal quest and then it became like, oh, I want to be able to teach others? <laughs> 
So it started out because um, four years ago I had my own practice and I was working with mental and emotional health patients. Um, and so I found myself as a nurse, as a conventionally trained nurse practitioner, I found myself just prescribing meds all the time. And, you know, for some people that hit, that's helpful and there's a place for that, of course. But I would have people come to me and just say, you know what, you're the first person that's ever really talked to me and listened to me and asked me what's going on underneath, you know? Right. And, and I thought, wow, there's something to this because in our medical field, the conventional world that I come from, practitioners, nurse practitioners or the physicians or the doctors don't do that, right? We don't even, we get like eight minutes to 10 minutes mm-hmm. with a, a patient and, and we don't really have time to dig into all of that. I thought, well, I really want to spend the time with patients and talk to them and see what's going on underneath and not just throw them a prescription. Right. And if that works, you know, we can do that too. So, and they started telling me all this trauma that they had. I thought, gosh, I've got to be able to help them on a deeper level. They're, level. They're coming to me for a reason. And my friend who's a therapist in Mississippi at the time, she said, you know, you should do this um, hypnotherapy training. It was, it's called heart-centered hypnotherapy. And I thought, ah, oh, hypnotherapy, what even is that? You know, that's coming from the South and, and coming from a very religious background. And even my mom would say, that's the devil. That's right. getting into mind control. Right. Don't get into all of that. You don't know what you're opening up to. And I thought, okay. At that time, I was like, ah, oh, you know. Well, anyway, about a year later, um, no, it wasn't even a year later. Just a couple of months later, I thought, you know what? This I'm going to do this. I kept getting the pull to do it and kept getting this nudge to do that. And I went to this six-day intensive hypnotherapy training in Florida because I thought, I'm going to help my patients with this. Right. So it was from that from that professional standpoint. And I got there. And I realized, oh my gosh, I'm here for me. This is, I'm here for me. This is, and it was like this intense work that we did on each other where we literally went in and processed our trauma. And I was like blown away by how much trauma all of these medical and healthcare and mental Mm -hmm. health professionals had that was completely unhealed or undealt with or or unresolved. And I thought, wow, we're out here doing this work with patients and we haven't even done our own work, most of us, you know? So it was amazing and life-changing on so many levels. And I came home and I realized, I was like, this is what I want to do. This is, this is my calling. This is, I have to integrate this into my work somehow. And so I started doing it with patients and they started getting better. I mean, people who had had lifelong depression and had been on every medication, been to every therapist, people who had agoraphobia, they weren't leaving their house. Like these people started getting better. They started coming off their meds or decreasing their meds or getting on less meds. They started having massive improvements. And I thought there is something to this work, you know? And so that's, that's, I kind of continue doing that. And now that's mostly what I do. Okay. So I'm so glad you said what your mom said to it. Cause that is a lot of people as Christ followers, our response is that hypnotherapy is from the enemy. Somebody else trying to get in. If you open that door, the world blows up. Right. So I'm so glad you said that. So, so what would talk a little bit about different between the hypno, hypnosis that we hear about that you people participate in when they go on a cruise, whatever, versus hypnotherapy, the clinical aspect. Talk about the differences of those. Yeah. And so when there's still that, that stigma attached to hypnosis, hypnotherapy, where we think stage hypnosis, when you see someone on stage and they're waving the clock and they're saying, I'm going to make you bark like a dog or right. cluck like a chicken or whatever. And that's what we kind of have in our mind. And that is that not at all what we do from a clinical aspect, from the therapeutic clinical hypnosis mm. and hypnotherapy. Um, and so I think a lot of people are afraid of that. And I think too, things that we don't understand 
or don't know about, we just automatically have this eh, reaction, like we're, we're afraid of it, right? Mm. And so that's definitely not an exception for hypnosis and hypnotherapy. But it is what I tell people too, and they say, I'm afraid, what about, I worry about people getting in my mind or, you know, taking over my mind or, and I say, of course, there are people out there who are going to abuse, can abuse everything. Like there are people who can and will abuse everything. But when it's done ethically and therapeutically, like it's meant to be, it actually gives you back your own power. Mm. It is not about me even doing anything or taking any power or giving you any anything. It's about you finding your own power within you and reclaiming your own mind and your own body. And so another thing that I explain is... Um, so the hypnotic state, which also is kind of known as the trance state, uh, which also can be very similar to a meditative state. Um, it's, it's kind of a natural state that we're in and out of all the time. It's just not conscious. So like I say, the highway, highway hypnosis is an example. So like if you're driving somewhere, a, a route that you kind of go a lot, or if you're just driving a long road trip and you're just driving along and then you don't remember how you got there. You don't remember the turns you took or you don't even remember driving there. It was your subconscious mind was driving the car. Your conscious mind was somewhere else. And so mm-hmm. that's kind of like, that's a trance. You were in a trance basically. Or when you get engrossed in a movie or a book mm-hmm. and you're so engrossed in this that you're not even aware of your surroundings or the time or what's going on. That's a, tra- a type of trance state. You know, we're kind of in and out of these trance states all day or the dissociation that people have a lot of that free state mm-hmm. were dissociated. That's a, that's what, what I would call kind of a negative trance state, right. you know, or even when we're playing these scripts over and over in our head that I'm no good, I can never do that. I'm not worthy. That's a trance, a negative trance that we're almost in, you know? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of different kind of definitions of what a trance state is. This is just using that state therapeutically and consciously so that you can go in and shift things on that subconscious level versus just that thinking analytical mind level. Wow. So give an example, whether if you're open to your own personal example or kind of generically about a, about a patient that was reluctant and I assume focused on one thing that they felt was still plaguing them, traumatizing them, and, and just kind of what you saw in that, in the before-after kind of shot for people? Um, so I always, I have several, several examples of just massive shifts that happen with mm. people, but one that really sticks out is when I first got certified as a hypnotherapist, and this was four years ago, I had this one patient who came in and she said, you're my last hope, mm. basically. She's like, if you can't help me, I'm not staying here anymore, meaning in this world. Yeah. And I thought, Oh my gosh, that's, that's a lot of pressure. But anyway, she was like, I've done, I just got back from a facility in Arizona. It was awful. I've been through multiple facilities. I have this severe depression. I can't even get off my couch. I don't shower. I only showered to come see you today. Um, I don't want to live. I've tried every medication and, and somehow I ended up here and think there's that you may can help me somehow. (laughs) And so I thought, let's do, I said, let's try hypnotherapy. Because this, this could possibly, it's a different thing than you've tried. It goes into deeper stuff, you know, and she, she knew she had some trauma, but she didn't kind of talk about or elaborate what it was. We did one session. Two days later, she came back and did a hypnotherapy session. And they're about 90 minutes long, the ones that, that we do, um, the ones that I do, because they go pretty deep. 
we did one session. And during that session, she ended up going back to a time when she was like nine years old and she had been raped by a man in her church. And so, of course, there was all this also like anger at God and, you know, and all of that right. stuff that plays into that too. And even during that, and I was so new at doing this, she was like probably my third person doing hypnotherapy with. And I thought, oh my God, this is, I don't even know what I'm doing. This is not going to work. I don't even, this is going horribly. I don't even know what I'm doing. And anyway, we ended up processing that to the best that we could. She could, and I could, and I know that we had divine help, but um, she ended up processing this. And, and one of the things we do is we process emotions for one, because those get locked up in the body, right? So we know mm-hmm. that that energy and that emotion gets locked in the body and mm-hmm. stored. So we ended up processing emotions and, and she didn't even have a huge emotional release. So for instance, when I had done mine, like it was crying and screaming and yelling and all these things. And I thought it was supposed to look like that. And she just had some tears and it was kind of rather subdued actually. Right. But there was some release there. And then she, um, so then we also dig into the beliefs and I said, okay, when you, when this happened to you, what did you believe about yourself? What did you start believing? And there was all these beliefs of, it was my fault. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't have gone over to that neighbor's house or, mm-hmm. or whatever this guy it was my fault. So she had been carrying this for like 40 years that this is all her fault. And there was all this like, well, I'm unworthy. And this happened to me because I deserved it. And, you know, and, and as a kid, we're not aware of that when this is happening. But when we look back, that's what, that's what we're interpreting, mm-hmm. even though we're not aware that we're interpreting those things. Um, and so there was all this, it's my fault. And so we started reframing that, reframing that. And like she, and we literally have a a rubber hose and like beat on a punching bag, like to get some of that mm-hmm. out and some of that energy out. And she was hitting the bag saying, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. It's your fault. And she was getting all this out and have this huge purge as if she was that child again speaking. So it's about giving that voice to that child who didn't have one at the time and all of that. And we closed the session and I thought, well, that didn't go too well. <laughs> anyway, she left and for a couple of days, I told my assistant, I was like, call and check on her because we really stirred up some stuff and I want to make sure she's okay. And she wouldn't answer and we weren't getting any calls back. And I was emailing her and I was so worried. And I was like, oh, we've pulled up some stuff. I don't know. She might be in a horrible place. And and like three weeks later, she had a follow-up appointment to come in. And she walked into this follow-up appointment. And this lady was, this was a different person who mm. came into my office. Mm. I mean, her entire aura, her energy, her attitude, her personality was completely different. She was lighter. She was happy. She was smiling. She was like, you know, I've just, I'm, I feel so much better. I'm getting out of my house now. I'm going to these meetings. I'm meeting it with friends for lunch and I'm taking care of myself and I want to do all these things. And I was like, oh my God, that worked. And even she had trouble saying that it was actually that, that helped <laughs> so, right, right. because people don't, can't put it together that that would have such an impact. Right. Mm-hmm. They just, people just can't fathom sometimes that that would have such an impact. Um, anyway, so she, um, she was talking about how much better she felt and how she's getting out. And so she was just, she continued to get better. And that was one session. And I, and that just really stuck with me because even in that session, I thought this is not even going that well. And I don't, she's not really having all of the emotional release. Like maybe she should or, or whatever, but it was, it changed her life, you know? Oh, it's, yeah, absolutely. It, it's, that's so similar to the type of trauma work I do. And, and so I do something I introduced to a long time ago. It was, it was life changing for me. It's called peer and has to do with primitive energy, emotional release. 
And so it's a lot of, you know, twisting the towel and hitting something, hitting away the hatred put on you or the abuse put on you. It's that kind of thing. And so it's, so we go into a trance. It's a, it's a trance regression and, and just be able to get to that part. And this, this is done slowly and safely and not everybody can do this or needs to do this, but to get to that part who has been burdened with all the shame and blame and the beliefs that come from that and the behavior that comes from it. So when it comes to the release part, People really struggle because it's embarrassing. It's weird. What's normal is road rage. What's normal is divorce. What's normal is getting drunk. Us actually releasing our emotions is considered abnormal. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. And that's amazing. And, yes, I love that. I didn't even realize you did that, but that's very, very similar work. And, Mm -hmm. and, And I think this type of work is becoming more common, and it's called different things, and there's different ways. But it's... I am just so happy to hear that because it's, and you did that. How long ago did you learn that? When I started that, it's probably 15 years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. I do think that's really amazing. I do think this stuff is becoming more common, which I'm thankful for because that's how we heal the stuff. You know, we have to go into that stuff and into the processing of it and into the releasing of that and into the releasing of those beliefs that we took on. But um, yeah, I do find that some people are very resistant to that mm-hmm. at first. And then some may not ever want to do that. And that's okay too, because there's still shifts that happen, you know, right. through the, the processing and the healing work. But I find that the ones who do, like there's such a a relief that happens from that. And just this lightness of just mm-hmm. letting that go and letting that out and being heard and being seen and allowing themselves to feel the rage and the anger that they had to hold in as a Mm -hmm. child from being abused or from being mistreated or or not hurt or whatever. There's such healing in that, you know, and a lot Mm -hmm. of people are resistant to that because there are, they are taught or believe that it's weak to show emotions or it's embarrassing to show emotions, or I have to hold everything in or, or even crying. Like I'm not allowed to cry because that shows weakness, you know, and, and have a joke um, that when, I know that when I do a session and people cry, I'm like, yes, I know things moved. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Which I know there, there's something happening anyway, but it gives mm-hmm. me an objective thing to say, oh, I know things are moving when there's emotion coming out. It's, a, it's mm-hmm. a release, a catharsis. So that's a thing I do too, is really educate people about feeling your emotions and, and allowing them and welcoming them and not repressing them and holding them in because that's that creates a whole other issue, you know? Right. And the, the trust they have to have in you. Right. And I know you have to be in ventral vagal. You have to be in your own connection and be able to be available to them. That's a lot, you know, as a practitioner. But the, the, they have to trust you to go into those places with you. Right. And so for yours to be a little bit different than the kind of stuff I do, and it just sounds amazing what you do, is because, like, their second session and they're, they're experiencing, they're starting the hypnotherapy. All right. So what's that like for you? in the sense of getting past, you know, that initial thing of them understanding, you know, because a lot of people came and closed their eyes. Right. Yes. And I have had a couple of people who had difficulty closing their eyes because of the trust and like, I'm not closing my eyes. That's not safe. You know, I don't, it's a certain literal survival thing that's built in that it is not safe if I close my eyes and I'm not doing that. And, and with them, you know, I, it's just very, very slow. And I don't even recommend going deep into things when they're, it's, it's a lot of ego strengthening that we do in the beginning mm-hmm. for those patients or those clients. Um, and ego strengthening, meaning just kind of going into the relaxation state 
just going into that meditative state and just being there for just a few moments and allowing their nervous system to almost recalibrate to that and deal with that slight because their nervous system is not used to that, right? right it's used to right. being fight or flight or freeze, not this mm-hmm. relaxation response or this calm state. So really trying to anchor that in using the ego strengthening and pulling in like different parts of themselves that are, are the wise the inner wise part or that part that is very strong and that survives everything. Like there's, right. you know, and it's a lot of uh, what we call ego parts therapy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we do a lot of that and pull in these parts and even spiritual connections, spiritual guides, if that's what they have and that's what they want to do. We pull it all in because it's mind, body, spirit. Um, and there's a lot of that that happens, the ego strengthening and just recalibrating and rewiring the nervous system for a while before they're mm-hmm. ever ready to go into anything like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. But what I've found now is that um, I've kind of shifted from saying, like I used to believe, oh my gosh, everybody needs, <laughs> everybody needs hypnotherapy. Because I used to say, everybody needs therapy. And then I was right. like, well, everybody needs hypnotherapy. <laughs> and I realized, no, they don't, because not everybody wants that. Not, not everybody's ready for that. And so I've shifted. And even on my website, you know, kind of state that this is really for people and just attracting the people who really want to do the work, who are really want to go in and do that deeper work and say mm-hmm. that, you know, this is really for people or the people who are right for me and for this relationship is usually the ones who want to do the deeper work and who are tired of doing the conventional methods and who are mm-hmm. tired of living the same way and complete and repeating the same patterns. So most people now that come to me, they've already done everything and tried everything and they're ready to do that deeper work. And so that's just right now kind of my ideal person right. that I work with. Right. And I work with, if anyone comes to me, I feel like it's for a purpose and they're, and they found me for a reason. Like, I think there are no accidents. So, so anyone who comes to me, you know, I do, I meet them where they are and, mm-hmm. and some people are ready to dive right in immediately. And then some people need a couple sessions to kind of slowly venture into it. And then some people come and they think they're ready. And then they realize after one or two sessions and they start getting into the, all this very uncomfortable stuff and these uncomfortable emotions and they're like ah maybe I'm not ready right now I changed my mind and then sometimes they'll come back months later and then sometimes they may not so I just meet them where they are yeah that's that's just beautiful how much does your faith come out blatantly because I know your faith is in everything you do right it doesn't just ebb and flow like it's you're always looking through the lens of Christ but for you how how do you see your faith coming in more clearly during the hypnosis, the hypnotherapy? Oh gosh, all the time. So that's um, one thing that I've really worked on over the last few years through doing this work is really tuning in with my intuition, my, my higher power and pulling in my resources, you know, my spiritual resources. And, um, and what happens is usually what I tell clients too is in the beginning, I'll say, you know, this type of work works with all aspects of the self, mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual. So I just, you know, ask everybody, is there a spiritual component that you would like to pull into this? And if not, that's totally okay. Definitely don't have to, but if there is, I'd like to honor that for you and bring that in. And so most people will say, yes, I, you know, I'm a Christian or I'm a Buddhist or I'm a whatever. And they'll, and I, what I say is, what do you call that? What do you call your higher power? Because I want to be able to honor and respect everyone's beliefs and be able to pull that in for them. And so we'll, and so we'll kind of have a part of the session where we'll pull, ask their, you know, Jesus, God, Buddha, Krishna, whomever, universe, love, nature, oneness, 
right. to come into the session, to be with them for their own protection and healing and whatever. So it's, it's a beautiful process, I believe, of just honoring everybody's belief system and pulling those resources for them and myself in to assist with the session. And it always turns out beautiful. And, and then I have had a couple of people who have zero spiritual connection or, or spiritual, um, basically just almost atheist or agnostic. And so when that happens, what I say is, is there any, you know, do you feel like there's any connection between you and, and the universe or every, do you, do you feel like there's a connect? Do you have a connection to nature? And they'll say, yes, I do have a really strong connection with nature. And so what we'll do is pull in nature and that connection piece to nature to pull in that, um, to feel like they're connected to something else besides themselves. And that's fair. I found that very helpful for a lot of people. And then I had one uh, patient who she didn't have any, any belief system or religion or anything or spirituality or spiritual practices. And she, I said, is there anything you would like would you like to connect into more like to yourself or, or nature or whatever, or this idea of love or this idea of oneness? And she's like, yeah, you know what? I want to connect more with myself. And so what I used for her is had her like imagine and visualize this part of herself that is extremely compassionate and Mm -hmm. so loving and so present. And so, um, just there for her. And she like had, she cried and cried and she's like, Oh my God, I can see this part of me that's holding me and so compassionate and having so much compassion and love for myself. And I've never felt that from anything or anyone in my life before. And so to me, that is just how I pull it in because there's Mm. that, it's, it's that deeper connection to something else besides ourselves that can be so healing. And to me, this is why I don't worry too much about the terminology or what people call it or, you know, or, and for myself, I know what I believe in and what I have, you know, and again, as the, in the questions I mentioned that I'm open to any and all religions, I'm open to, um, and I grew up a Christian and mm-hmm. I still sort of consider myself a Christian, but I also have issues with the religiosity Right. Of Christianity, you know, and some of that um, dogmatic, dogmatic things. And so I kind of disconnect from that. But, uh, but anyway, that's, that's how I kind of pull in the spirituality piece. So for me, your what you just said is evidence of you being more of a whole and safe practitioner. And a, a lot of people, and a lot of people don't understand that that the person that you're seeing, whether they're your NP, your PA, your MD, your therapist, whatever they are, if they are trying to get you to be somebody besides who you are in that moment, you're not safe. From from being little, we have been told who we are by someone else. The condition been placed on us. As a mental health practitioner, I don't have a right to do that. People have a right to say they only want to see Christians. That's fine. But I can tell you I've got people who now now have different beliefs about themselves, about God, and about this world because I met them exactly where they were. And who who am I not? Absolutely. Oh, that gives me chill bumps. Because, right, I mean, people could have life-changing experiences. Absolutely. From from doing this type of work. And who are we to say that? And and it's everybody's right to say that. But, you know, to choose to only Mm -hmm. see specific people or this group of people or that group of people. And that's fine. But I feel like it's very limiting. Right, absolutely. Like it's an honor whoever walks into absolutely. into my door, and so absolutely. I've had people say, "Don't talk about God." I'm not going to talk about God. Right, right. Like, they are the paying consumer. Right. I'm not going to talk about God. 
Absolutely. Nine times out of ten, eventually, they say, hey, can we talk about God? Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. And because as they heal and open things up, it mm-hmm. just automatically connects them to that part of themselves that they sometimes didn't even know existed. Right. You know, that, that's right. that spiritual part, that soul, that spirit part. Mm-hmm. And so I agree that it's, you know, I had a lady the other day, actually yesterday, and she's like, no, 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 that's not part of my world or life right now, spirituality at all. And I said, like, okay, that's, that's totally fine. There's no judgment at all. I just like to right. ask and honor people's beliefs, whatever mm-hmm. they are. Mm-hmm. And so... And so we didn't talk about that at all. And it was, and we, again, just pulled in the, the empowered self part of her. That's that very wise part of her, that compassionate part of her. Mm-hmm. And we don't have to call it, we can just call it that, the empowered self part of you. Right, you know? right. Absolutely. Do you see any similarities between the hip hypnotherapy and EMDR? Yes. Um, so I haven't actually taken, and I want to, the EMDR training at some point. But from what I have heard other therapists and practitioners talk about, and from what I've heard patients say about it, it is similar. Um, However, I have had people say that they've tried EMDR and it was somewhat helpful, but that this work just goes so much deeper Mm. and that it's more of a safe processing because I've had people... Had people say that when they did EMDR, they felt like they were almost thrown into there and then like kind of left in this almost re-traumatization type feelings. Some people, not everyone, but, um, and this is why I think the hypnotherapy is so good because it really gets you into that calm state, that relaxed state and really anchors that in and and is soothing for the nervous system before you ever go into any of that other. And it's so much easier to regulate it and control it from that Mm. place. Versus just going straight into a um, traumatic event, you know? And so mm-hmm. in the bilateral stimulation, of course, I know that mm-hmm. that is very helpful. And sometimes, you know, I even teach patients to do that for themselves, the bilateral stimulation mm-hmm. stuff. But I've just heard some people say this is this goes deeper or this feels more um, safer. But then again, some people aren't, you know, all they want to do is they don't want to go deeper. So right. EMDR is great and wonderful for them for, for starting out. It's, I find it's a good bridge, I think, between mm-hmm. talk therapy and between the hypnotherapy. Mm-hmm. So for those who want to check out EMDR, it has to do with eye movement, desensitization response. And if you're watching this on YouTube, it's like if you do your hands cross them and do like a tap on each shoulder, that's considered a soothing thing that can help with the bilateral stimulation. And the bilateral is your eyes going back and forth because there are – a hand or there's a machine with a light going back and forth to help you safely go into your trauma. I will tell you, I'm certified in it and it bored me and it bored uh, my patients. Uh, it did. Really? It did. We uh, all got bored with it. Really? And I think it's because people come to me or used to hitting things and screaming and, oh, and wow. doing whatever. We, we all just got <laughs> bored. It's very effective. That's, it uh, is. Which, yeah, I, that's super big. Like, shoot, let's do that. That's very effective. Let's just yeah. get it out. That's, Oh, wow. That's amazing. Okay. Yeah. So I wonder if um, I would probably be bored with it too. And my patients would probably be bored with it. Maybe. I'm probably the only person that's ever said that they're bored with it. Cause everybody else is like, is on the bandwagon and, yeah. and they love it. And, and they love great. it. Great. And that's, and that's why I love, there's so many different modalities. And yeah. as part of this podcast is, is educating people that, you know, just like the woman that came to you and said, this is the last stop. Yeah. This is, I've been yeah. in facilities no, and no one's gone deeper with her. No one's helped no. her get to the core of it. Right. Like right. if there's, the, the behavior is the, is the last thing you see. Behavior yes. comes after a whole lot of rupture, a whole lot of shame and blame Absolutely. and trauma. Then there's a the behavior, right? Absolutely. Yeah. 100% yes. 
Yeah, you said yeah. earlier about, you said the word awakening, and, and I think that that might be the one word that really sums up what happened to you. Like, it's just like like you slowly, because there was so much trauma, different parts of you just became awake. Yes. And to you started one. waking up others. Yes, and and it's still happening, and I believe it's a lifelong process. I think it does mm-hmm. get easier, you know, for sure, but mm-hmm. I think it's we're always learning and growing, all of us, even if we don't think we are. I think right. we're all kind of learning and growing. Some of us just choose a a little bit of an accelerated path of growing, maybe. I don't know, but right. Um, right. I think we're all here to just learn and grow. Ultimately. Yeah, absolutely. It's always a transformation, and it's just a always. very slow process, and the more trauma you have, the slower the process. Absolutely. has to be. Whatsoever, but what an inspiration you are for anyone to know that, that oh, there's a you. way to go from yes. a child who now is just completely frozen and shut down to someone very curious. Yeah. Yeah. Curiosity thank, and compassion are the places to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. They, they saved my life. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's great. I mean, you know, just being able to dive in and say, what is this what is going on with me and how can I fix this how can I make this better is there a way can it be made better you know yeah and then deciding that that's my calling is to go teach people to to heal myself and teach others how to heal themselves Mm -hmm. that's my ultimate purpose Mm -hmm. yeah you definitely have repurposed your life it's absolutely amazing all right so I'm gonna put you on the hot seat okay Okay, since you're a therapist (laughs) you're going on the hot seat so I'm gonna ask you a few questions and just whatever comes to mind pretty quickly Tell me what oh, comes, tell us what oh, comes to mind, okay? okay. All right, you're on the hot seat. Here we go. First word that comes to mind when you hear the word choice. Available. Excellent. What's your favorite podcast? The Adult Chair by Michelle Chalfant. The Adult Chair. I had not heard of that. I'm going to check Michelle that out. Michelle Chalfant. Oh, it's amazing. She's a therapist out of Nashville. Uh-huh. Actually, she's originally from North Carolina. Well, originally from New York, but now she's moved back to North Carolina and Davidson area, but it's the adult chair and it's all of this inner child work. And she does all this similar work that we do in hypnotherapy mm-hmm. and she's amazing. Okay, great. I'll check it. And she's in Davidson. Oh, that's great. Now she's just recently moved back to Davidson. Yeah. All she right. was in Nashville for a few years. Cool. Good to know. Okay. What is on your nightstand? Um, books, stacks of books that have, that I haven't read all of. <laughs> Stacks of books that I've read, like a few chapters here and there, and then right. I go back and forth. Right. That's great. Okay. So you recently got a tattoo. Is that right? Yes, I did. Yes. You want to tell everybody what's, what your tattoo is? It says, um, if you can see it on my arm, it says, everything is inside. Mm. I mean, everything is within. Everything is within. Everything within. All right. Yeah. That's great. Which, if, and then I have this one that says, be the light, be which the I light. got a couple of years ago. To I love just, it. All right. So if you got a tattoo at age 17... Before you found that book, what would it? What would the tattoo have said then? This is so funny because actually I did get one at seventeen when I did it myself. <laughs> that is so wonderful! Oh my god, this is what I'm we sure call it's the, perfect too, right? It's, it's what we call the jailhouse jailhouse. Yes, tattoo, right? yeah, yeah. That's, oh, that's it was street cred. Is, that is street cred, right there. <laughs> street cred. This is embarrassing, and I can't believe I'm saying this where it's recorded, but I'm going to say it. Um, so I learned how to do tattoos with a needle and thread and the Indian ink and you would tie the thread around the, the needle and then dip it in the Indian ink and I would do it for my friends like little mine I had this is so crazy and so embarrassing I had a dollar sign on my hand right here uh-huh. on the right there but right. and then 
Then, so I had that dollar sign and I put my initials on my foot, LA, Liz Allward at the time. So I put a handmade tattoo with my initials on my foot. Anyway, years later, when I started working in retail, I was very embarrassed about this one on my hand and very ashamed of that dollar sign there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, what's funny is that you're dirt poor putting a dollar sign on you. Dirt poor. I know because you couldn't even even afford a tattoo and you're like... (laughs) Put a dollar sign. This is fantastic. Seriously, but maybe that was like, you know, the obsession with one day I'm going to have some money. I don't know. <laughs> I love it. Well, and you know, and I loved rap music back then too. And mm-hmm. that was all the thing, you know, the mm-hmm. dollar signs and the, and the rap music <laughs> right. and all that. And that was, right. that was the thing. So that is awesome. <laughs> but I got that taken off. I got it cut out a few years later when I was working in retail. I got it surgically removed. That okay. one. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so <laughs> what, and we'll just say your high school teachers. What would you want them to know about you today? Um, I don't know why that just brought a little wave of emotion there, mm, but that's good. just thinking about that 17 year old who was so lost. Mm. Um, there was this one teacher that I do remember who was Miss uh, Bibi Cows. She was my French teacher in ninth grade and she was just so kind and compassionate that I could feel that from her. And she's the one who would call and check on me and talk to my mom. I would say thank you to her for Mm. reaching out because so many teachers, I think don't, or they just don't notice, or they just don't think maybe they can do anything. And I think just reaching out or just extending compassion to a child Mm. can help change their life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's beautiful. I love that. I love that. What do you like the most about yourself? Um, that I love to learn and grow. Mm-hmm. You sure do. And you that I have that. so much compassion. Yeah, lots of compassion. All right, last question for you. When you hear flip your lid, for now on, what will you think? <laughs> well, I love it. Number one, I'm going to have to go back and watch your other podcasts. Mm-hmm. Flip your lid. When I hear that, um, in my mind, I visualize like literally a lid popping off, but I just see myself in, in my hypnotherapy sessions hitting on a bag. But I don't know. Like, I just, I think it's a very cool title. I would like to know kind of how you came up with that for your podcast, if you have time to answer that. But I don't know. I think it's really cool. And I can't wait to listen to the other ones. Well, I'll tell you quick so the audience will know. So when COVID hit, I had the honor. I'm one of the communicators at my church. And I was asked to come on and just talk a little bit about what's happened to people with their mental health and their emotional lives, everything happening. And so I took the opportunity to share with them Dr. Dan Siegel's brainchild of Flip Your Lids. You can go watch a YouTube of it. But this is the explanation those you are on YouTube. So this is this is your brain. Basically, I'm holding up my hand. This is your brain stem. You got your spine. This is your amygdala. This is your limbic system. So this is your cortex. So here are your nails are of your prefrontal cortex, right? So for us to be connected to our emotions and have regulations of our trauma responses, of our habitual responses, emotions, then your prefrontal cortex and your cortex have to be connected to your limbic system, to your amygdala. Well, things happen to us and we flip our lid. That's and, so brilliant. Yeah. And the longer your cortex is detached from your amygdala, the st- more struggle you're going to have reattaching, reconnecting. Oh, that's amazing. It is. Oh, I love it so much. That's amazing. And I love Dr. Siegel too. And yeah. I think I've heard him explain that maybe. Like, I haven't heard him. Does he use the term? Flip your lid. Yeah, or it may say flip my lid. Maybe I shift it a little bit so I wouldn't get sued. I don't even know. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't heard him actually. I mean, I've seen him do the whole showing on the hand, like Mm -hmm. explaining the brain and all that. Mm -hmm. But 
that's amazing. I love that yeah. so much. So when I got to explain to everybody, it resonated so much with them that it just kind of stayed with me. And so when this came up and I was coming up with a, with a name, I was like, I really want to talk to people whose lid's been flipped. Wow. They've amazing. reconnected and now they're helping other people. Oh, that's amazing. That is yeah. so brilliant. Yeah. I love it. Love it. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Good luck with all that. I can't. Oh, I appreciate this, we just that. started this. This yeah, is after yeah, COVID. Yeah. Okay, right. that's amazing. Right. I can't wait to keep following and listening. Oh, I appreciate that. Well, so that we can follow you. Tell them a little bit about your website or Facebook or Instagram um, handle. So my website is www.burkholderwellness.com and Burkholder is B-U-R-K-H-O-L-D-E-R. Instagram is Burkholder Wellness. Facebook is Burkholder Wellness. So I'm on all, right. all of them. That is great. All right. So if y'all are interested in learning a little bit more about hypnotherapy and Having Liz be that person for you that helps you travel a little bit further into your pain so you don't have to live in your pain, then she would be as a way of getting in touch with her. Liz, thank you. This has been amazing. Thank you, thank you so honor. much. And thank to all you. of you, I know you've heard something today that flipped your lid, but we hope you also were able to reconnect to who God says you are. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Flip Your Lid with Kim Honeycutt. Please subscribe, rate, and share. You can find Kim on Facebook or Instagram at KB Honeycutt. To get an autographed copy of Kim's book, visit butyourmotherlovesyou.com. Remember, no matter what, treat yourself well today.